and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Hello, I'm Pat Malone, and I'd like to welcome you to The Church in the Home, where we share the light of God's Word from our home to you. I know the truth of God's Word, and I believe what I heard, yeah, yeah. I believe what I heard. I believe what I heard, so I'm standing on the Word of God. God bless you guys. So, uh, has anybody seen the movie American Beauty? Couple people. So, uh, and for those of you that don't know, um, it's not a very godly movie at all. Um, but it's regarded as kind of uh, like a modern classic. Like, it's really well written by the world standards. Um, the directing, the acting, everything is regarded as pretty good. Uh, I watched it for the first time. I was taking a film studies class, and we kind of broke it down in all the different parts. And it was really interesting. I learned a lot from that. But the movie is about a man. Uh, played by Kevin Spacey, who is in his 40s or whatever. He hits his midlife crisis, and he's working this job in this office, and it's just boring. He's not going anywhere. He's got a wife, a family that he's not really satisfied with, and he gets to the point where he just decides, screw this, I'm going to change my whole life, and... Uh, you know, he, he quits his job and he uh, gets a, a job at, like, McDonald's or something. And then he starts smoking a bunch of pot and, like, working out all the time. And he starts, uh, he is trying to have an affair with this teenage girl. It's, again, you know, a real wholesome Christian movie right here. Um, but I think that that's something that, a lot of people face at some point in their life, um, maybe multiple times in their life, where they get comfortable in a situation and they kind of feel trapped in that. Uh, and they wonder what else is available, that there might be something better than what they have right now. Um, and for us as Christians, there's always something better. Um, maybe that guy went the wrong way. Maybe he went according to the world, what he thought was right. But we have the word. So we're going to start in John 10.10, familiar verse. Um, But as Christians, we can't allow ourselves to get too comfortable. We can't afford that. Um, God is the God of comfort. It says that in the word. Um, Meaning he encourages us and he builds us up when we have pressure. But we don't want to be comfortable, meaning we don't want to get comfortable with like not wanting to change. Uh, we don't want, don't want to get lukewarm or stagnant. As believers, we should always be growing and moving forward. So John 10.10 10 says, The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come, this is Jesus Christ, that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. God has called us to abundance beyond anything that we can even imagine. It says he can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think, um, according to the power that worketh in us. 
And that's not just material abundance. That's spiritual abundance. That's mental abundance. That's peace in every single situation. That's the power and love and a sound mind that it talks about in 2 Timothy. Uh, We can have joy whenever we're dealing with tough situations. All of that is available. Uh, Physical wholeness in every category, that's available. There's these areas that many of us sometimes might have a hard time with, but we don't have to be satisfied with where we're at. We can rise up in our believing and accept God's abundance, accept God's deliverance. So my teaching is titled, Rise Up, O Men of God, which is why I asked Dylan to sing that song uh, or to lead that song for us. It says in this verse that the thief cometh not before to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's his whole thing. He wants to cheat us out of this deliverance and this abundance that God has called us to. And he's going to take you as far as you let him, pretty much. Um, He'll get people to... So many times that stealing, killing, and destroying is just getting us to settle for what's good rather than what's best. Um, God wants best, right? So I was thinking about this the other day. How do we receive anything from God? There's the five things, right? It's uh, um, how to receive, sorry, what's av- I should know these things. What's available, how to receive it, what to do with it after you've got it, and then it's God's willingness equals his ability, and you have to have your wants and needs parallel, right? That's right. <laughs> um, so what is the how of receiving? It's believing. In order to receive anything from God, basically, you just have to believe. That's what's required. And the same thing is true with the devil, really, if you want to receive anything from God, if you want to receive God's peace, you've got to believe that God made it available. If you want to receive anxiety, you've got to believe what the adversary is saying. You've got to believe his lies over God's truth. And again, he's going to take you as far as he can. Um, you know, the adversary is going to throw stuff at you. He's going to, there's no stopping him from that, even if you are believing, he's still going to throw temptations at you. But you have the choice. Are you going to believe God or are you going to believe the adversary? Are you going to believe the world? And least common denominator, that's where the two sources of information are. Um, so when the lion roars, if you don't get scared and freeze up, he can't get you. He has no right to touch a born-again believer. You're always believing something. Uh, How you vote determines the election. Our goal is every single day to rise up in our believing to believe God's word over the devil's word. Romans chapter 8. It's crazy how fast time goes. (laughs) Like, I'm only two minutes in right now. Let's get moving. All right. Romans 8, verse 5. It's 
says, for they that are after the flesh, they mind or they think about the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, they think about the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded or to think about the things of the flesh, the carnal stuff, uh, that's, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Again, just like uh, John 10.10, we see the God, God and the devil. We see those two sides of it. Um, and what's neat about this verse is it's not just death and life. It's death and life and peace. Like, God's thing is better. You know, there's situations that, uh, you know, you might see in a movie or something, like if somebody's getting tortured or something weird like that, where, like, death might be better than being alive. Um, But it's not only just being alive, it's life and peace in every situation. So that's neat. That's when we're thinking on the stuff of God. And then Romans 12. A lot of familiar verses here. Romans 12, 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Again, we got the two sides, right? Um, the word conformed means to be fashioned or to press something into a mold. Like you've got a Play-Doh mold and you're pushing that little car or whatever it is. And that's what the devil wants for you. He wants you to be what he wants you to be. But God wants you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by thinking the things of the Spirit and not the things of the flesh. And because of that, you're transformed. You become a new person. You become that thing, you know, that believer that God's called you to be. Uh, Psalm 75. That's the more than abundant life. And if we're just settled, we're satisfied with being pressed in that mold and being like everybody else and, and, and thinking about things according to the five senses and whatever else the adversary is trying to press us to do, we're not going to live that more than abundant life that God's called us to. Psalm 75, verse 8. Now, this is a really cool thing. that I, I was just reading this the other day, and I saw this. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red and is full of mixture, and he poureth out of the same. But the dregs thereof and the wick, all the wicked of the earth shall wring them out and drink them. And you're like, Nick, why are you going to the first? What does this mean? Um, so let's break it down. To really understand this, you kind of have to understand how wine is made a little bit. So we'll get into that. But it says, and I, I don't understand, so I might be a little wrong in how I'm explaining things, but I'll do the best that I know. Um, so it says, for in the hand of the Lord there's a cup, and the wine is red, and it's full of mixture, and he pours out of the same. So God has this delicious wine that he wants to give to everybody. And it says, but the dregs thereof, all the wicked of the earth shall wring them out and drink them. The dregs are the leaves. It's sediment. So you have grapes and yeast, and that ferments, and that makes wine. 
and the dregs is like sediment. It's dead yeast that settles to the bottom and whatever impurities in the wine or whatever. All of that stuff settles to the bottom and then you got the good wine on the top. So what this is saying is we have a choice. Do we want to go with this delicious glass of wine that God has, this abundance, this prosperity, this peace, this joy, all of that? Or are we just going to settle, literally settle for the stuff on the bottom that you have to like run through a filter to get a little bit of wine out of it? We have that choice. Um, maybe something that would make a little more sense in our, situ- or in, in our culture is do you want like a nice, fresh cup of coffee or do you want to take the filter with the grinds and you're like squeezing that out to try to get a little drop? Right? I want that fresh fresh cup <laughs> if I drank coffee. Let's go to Second Kings. Don't settle for anything less than God's best. You don't have to go there, but in Hebrews it talks about how we don't have to uh, we come boldly to the throne of grace. So we don't have to settle. God wants you to have the good stuff. Um, so we're going to get into a record tonight. I said 2 Kings chapter 6 uh, is the chapter we're going to. Um, we're going to go through a record tonight that uh, Dylan shared on a little bit last week. And we're just going to get into it in a little more detail. Um, we're going to spend the rest of the time going through this. And we are kind of going to look at it in a different light. So, again, we're still looking at rise up, O men of God. We're going to see um, how we can do that, how we can rise up to claim God's promises. So, 2 Kings chapter 6, and we'll start in verse 24. And it came to pass after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his host and went up and besieged Samaria. So, Samaria was the capital city of the nation of Israel at this time. So there was Israel and Judah. They had split up. Judah had Jerusalem as their capital, the city of David, and then Israel had Samaria, and that's where their kings lived. Um, And this guy, Ben-Hadad, from Syria, this enemy army, he gathered all his host, which is kind of interesting. He didn't, you know, maybe you'd have people at different borders and stuff protecting your nation. He's like, we're going to send everybody to Israel, to Syria, and he bes- or to Samaria, and he besieged the city. And to besiege a city, the army would go around the city. They would set up a camp around the city so that the people inside had no way out. There was n- nobody could come in, nobody could come out. No supplies could come in and come out. Everything that's going through, these people are going to take. Verse 25. And there was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it, until an ass's head was sold for fourscore pieces of silver, and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five pieces of silver. So, um, you know, this is not... These these words in here, you got to have to... you got to look at it through an Eastern window here. Um, but an ass's head is like this wild cabbage that nobody would ever want to eat. 
unless you're in a famine like this. And it's being sold for really expensive. And then the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung is like a little pea that you would feed to doves. And it's birdseed. Nobody would want to eat that. But in a situation like this, it's being sold for really expensive. Um, and gas was $3 a gallon. <laughs> Verse 26. And as the, kings, as the king of Israel was passing by upon the wall, so you can see him in the city. There's the wall that circles the city, and he's like walking on the top there. The king of Israel was passing by upon the wall. There cried a woman unto him, saying, Help my lord, O king. Verse 27, And he said, If the Lord do not help thee, when shall I help thee? Out of the barn floor or out of the wine press? Really, you know, he was not believing God, obviously. And let's go back a couple chapters. You can leave your finger here. But we'll see who this king is. Um, it's Second Kings chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now Jehoram the son of Ahab, so Ahab was not a good believer. There's uh, a lot of stuff in the word about things that he did wrong according to God's word. Uh, so Jehoram the son of Ahab began to reign over Israel in Samaria the 18th year of Jehoshaphat king of Judah and reigned 12 years. And he wrought evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and like his mother, for he put away the image of Baal that his father had made. So that's not bad. But it still says he wrought evil in the sight of the Lord. Verse 3, Nevertheless, he cleaved unto the sins of Jeroboam, Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which made Israel to sin and departed not therefrom. We can go back to 2 Kings 6. So he's not really a great believer, this guy. Um, which is sad, because if he had been walking with God, they probably wouldn't have ended up in this situation. Verse 28, well, so he says in 27, how am I going to help you out of the barn floor? There's nothing in the barn. There's no animals in there. There's no cattle or out of the wine press. They didn't even have the drugs. Verse 28, and the king said unto her, what aileth thee? And she answered, this woman said unto me, give thy son that we may eat him today and we will eat my son tomorrow. Whoa. And we boiled my son and did eat him. And I said unto her on the next day, Give thy son that we may eat him. And she hath hid her son. Not cool. Uh, on many levels, not cool. Um, this is not a good situation that this country is in. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of things that we might complain about in our country, but we haven't gotten here yet. Um, it's hard to imagine this. Verse 30. Uh, and it came to pass when the king heard the words of the woman that he rent his clothes, which meant he was upset. Even he was upset about this, uh, that this kind of stuff was happening in his nation, that it had gotten to this point. And he passed by upon the wall, and the people looked, and behold, he had sackcloth within upon his flesh, which people put sackcloth on to show that they were being humble, um, that they were upset. Verse 31, then he said, God do so, and more also to me, if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, shall stand upon him this day. So he was looking for somebody to blame other than himself, other than, you know, this, Elijah didn't do this, God didn't do this, it was the devil, 
The devil is the one that caused this famine. The devil, I, I, you know, I don't know the details, but did something to inspire the Syrians to go and take over Israel. Verse 32. Uh, so he said, I'm going, to cut, I'm going to cut Elijah's head off for no reason. 32. But Elijah sat in his house, and the elders sat with him. So these guys are just hanging out, and drinking tea or something. And the king sent a man from before him. So the king is going to send a guy to get Elijah. But ere, or before the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, Elisha said to the elders that he was hanging out with, See how the son of a murderer has sent to take away mine head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold him fast to the door. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? So Elisha had revelation. And God said, God told him what to do here. It would be kind of interesting to be one of these elders and to you know, be hearing Elijah talk, because he kind of said some weird stuff, or, you know, off-the-wall stuff that you wouldn't expect a person to say, because they were just all hanging out, and he said, all right, so a messenger's going to come, and you're going to have to, like, close the door really fast, and do not let him in. I'm like, okay. So, uh, it says, when this messenger comes, shut the door, hold him fast to the door, is not the sign of his master's feet behind them. So there's going to be a messenger. We shut the door. We do not let him in because behind him is the guy that's going to come and take me away. Verse 33, And while he yet talked with him, behold, the messenger came down unto him, and he said, Behold, this evil is of the Lord. Why? What? Should I wait for the Lord any longer? Uh, Dylan taught on this last week, waiting on the Lord, and that if you just wait it out, you just keep believing God, he's going to take care of you. Um, But this guy thought that the evil was from the Lord. And then we'll do chapter 7, verse 1 is where it continues. Then Elijah said, Hear you the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. So, that's kind of a big deal. They're going from eating peas and, and cabbage to pizza and beer, flour and barley. <laughs> For cheap, really cheap, which makes it even better. Verse 2, Then a lord on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, so this is, guy, this is a guy that's come to capture him that's outside the door that they just locked answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he said, Behold, as Elijah, what Elijah said, Behold, you're going to see it with your eyes, but you're not going to eat it. Uh-oh. Verse 3. And this is where we really get into the interesting stuff. Um, as if people eating children and uh, people almost getting their heads cut off is not interesting. Verse 3, And there were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate, and they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? What are we going to do? You know, there's, I'll read the next verse and we'll get into it. Verse 4, If we say, We will enter into the city, 
then the famine's in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit still here, we die also. Now therefore come, and let us fall into the, house, the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live, and if they kill us, we shall but die. These were the people, you know, they had life, but they didn't have peace. They weren't living that abundant life because all this, uh, this famine was going on. And they decided, well, we're going to die here. Either we're going to die where we're sitting, or maybe we go in the city and try to find some food, but there's nothing there, so we're going to die there too. So why don't we just do something, and we'll go to the camp of the Syrians. They're still surrounding the city, and maybe we can, like, beg them to feed us and we'll, we'll become their slaves or something, you know? Something. Why sit we here until we die? And so many believers get caught into that at periods of their life or maybe their whole life where they get born again and then maybe they grow a little bit or they don't grow at all, but they're just, they're just stuck there because they're just sitting. They never rise up. We don't want to get comfortable. Remember, we don't want to be satisfied with where we're at. We want to keep believing God bigger. Verse 5, And they rose up, O men of God, in the twilight, to go unto the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. Weird. What happened? You know, I, can, I can kind of picture them. They're coming in and they're like, All right, we surrender. We, we don't have any weapons or anything. Just like, can you please feed us? We'll do anything. But there's nobody there. They're like, huh, weird. Verse 6. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore, they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses and they hauled it, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. Uh, pretty cool. You know, God does exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, right? Nobody believed for this specifically. Nobody could have figured this out. Um, but God did it because he said he was going to help them somehow. And so he did. Verse 7. Uh, we already read that. Verse 8. And when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into the tent and did eat and drink and carried thence silver and gold and raiment and went and hid it and came again and entered into another tent and carried thence also and went and hid it. So these guys are just like, okay, well, let's go eat something. That's what we're here for. So they get their bellies full, they get a bunch of gold and silver and clothes, and they take that away, they go out and bury it somewhere, I don't know, and then they come back and they get more. Um, pretty cool. And that's a thing that they did in their time, the armies would take spoils, so if they defeated somebody, they would take all the all the gold and silver, and clothes were not, you couldn't just go to Walmart and get a new pair of clothes. Like, clothes were expensive then. Verse 9. Then they said one to another, we don't do well. This isn't right. 
This is a day of good tidings. And we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come, that we may go and tell the king's household. They had a good message. They had good news. And they were pretty wise, these lepers. Uh, They weren't just going to sit on it. They were going to share it. They were going to do something with it. Verse 10. So they came and called unto the porter of the city. And they told them, saying, We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no man there, neither voice of man, but horses tied, and asses tied, and the tents as they were. And he called the porters, and they told it to the king's house within. And the king arose in the night, and said unto his servants, I will now show you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we be hungry. Therefore are they gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the fields, saying, When they come out of the city, we're going to catch them alive and get into the city. He thought this was all a big plot. But nobody knew. I mean, it doesn't say that like God revealed it to anybody. It's just, it says, you know, by the way, God is the one that did this. They're just like trying to figure out what happened. Um, and they're clearly not believing God. Uh, so, we'll, we'll keep going. They, they track down the, uh, the Syrians, and there's a huge path of just clothes and jewelry all along the line that they get all of that. And then we will skip to verse 16. And the people went out and spoiled the tents of the Syrians. So, a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. God delivered them. God had that promise, and he said he was going to do it, and he did it. Um, So we can just rise up and and believe all that God has for us. Um, I've got a poem to read here, but I'll read it after we're done. But you guys are great. I love you. God bless you. You can't bring me down, the word is on my mind.